I mean, that's that's the wrong time to do it. That's all. I, I'm telling you. Well, you know what it is, but that that's it. It ain't gonna happen. We're our our asses in the jackpot if we don't remember that guy. To show we mine our memories for nuggets of nostalgia about peripheral players, past and present. Calling the game from behind home plate today. It is me, one of your hosts, Tom Hallion. Diaz with you, and you gotta give us a shot, James. You gotta give us a shot. <laughs> And uh, we actually have the person who was the object of the scorn of the random fucking Mets manager, whose name I don't remember now. Please introduce yourself. You know what? I've done nothing but upset Mets fans and Mets managers my whole life. It's me, the very special guest, Xavier. But the fun news is we have an even more very special guest, our special esports correspondent. Please introduce yourself. I'm Rob. I'm the esports correspondent today and all days, I guess. Seven days and twice on Sunday. Real quick, it's going to kill me if I don't say it for posterity. Terry Collins is that Mets manager. So just need to make sure that that's out there. But hey, Rob, welcome. It's so great to have you, our dear friend and brother, amongst us today. And I desperately need something from you, Rob. I need it more than anything. I need you to tell me what's making memories for you right now. So there's a couple things. In the esports world, there's actually been a game that I've been picking up. It's a strategy game called Teamfight Tactics. And they had their first transgender athlete who made the finals very recently, over the weekend, actually. They came in 23rd out of 24 going into the regional finals, and they dominated. The way TFT works is it's a strategy game where you pick units, the units fight, and you get a placement from one to eight. Over the four-day week, this player averaged a 2.5 placement out of eight players for all of their matches. Pretty incredible score. The only person that did better than them was the 24th out of 24th ranked player who had a 2.2 average placement. And the next highest after those two, 3.8. So they kind of dominated. The two lowest ranked players coming into this. Coming into the North American Regional. Destroyed everyone else. Not even close. It was it was a complete obliteration. In if, the final if this is where day, your rankings brought you, then what fundamental flaw is there with your rankings? So part of the problem, I think, with TFT in general is it's a game of chance. It's it's kind of like a game of poker where there are some random effects that happen when you roll for units. It's random what units you'll get, but it has like probability. So there's there's different things that could affect the way that you win on a given day. But the biggest reason that those two players did so well was they had a read on the meta that nobody else had. They were playing comps that no one was even attempting to play. And because they were uncontested and no one else was playing them, they were basically getting them for free. And no one else got the confidence over the tournament to say, hey, I'm going to contest them because they were afraid they were going to mess it up because the meta comps that they were using were fairly difficult to drive and use and you know they went for it and uh it came up big pretty incredible story now rob i want to flex the one bit of knowledge i may have when it comes to esports when you talk about these random things that happen and can affect the outcome of a game that is known as rng correct yes it is the only reason i know that (laughs) i watch a disproportionate amount of uh zelda speedruns and no matter which Zelda it is, if it's Link to the Past, if it's Ocarina of Time, 
there will always be like ZFG is my favorite one. He'll be like, just like say very monotonous, like, oh that was good RNG there. Oh bad RNG on the treasure hunt. RNG is the one thing that I have picked up from this entirety, and I'm glad that I was able to contribute in some form. Yeah, you'll you'll hear it a lot in a lot of different games. It just means that it's a random effect, and uh, sometimes it goes your way, and sometimes it doesn't. Well, it's so great to hear about that. And I mean, it, while, while you've been paying attention to esports, I know you, you are a lover of all sports. Anything else popping for you right now? What's hip-hop happening? Yeah, I actually... Um, do you guys know Olivia Dunn, college gymnast for LSU? Yes. Yes, I do. So very recently, there an article came out in the New York Times where a reporter went to Olivia Dunn at LSU to get some quotes and did an interview because she is, between her social media and her NIL deals, I believe she is the highest paid college female athlete. Somewhere around $2 million is what she's averaging. Pretty crazy amount. And so he goes and gets quotes from her, whatever, and it's supposed to be about what she's doing and how she's growing her brand. And it turned into an article about how she's pushing the sport back by sexualizing herself. It's really just kind of a crazy article to read. And I was reading it the other day because as an avid fan of Thirst Traps, I follow Olivia Dunn. And (laughs) (laughs) it's just absurd that at some points the article makes sense. It's talking about how race and like your gender identity affects the likelihood that you're going to get these kind of social media deals as a female athlete. But also it kind of like disparages her for portraying herself in this way when she's actively earning money from her own efforts. It's like that weird dichotomy of like, is it wrong for a woman athlete to sexualize herself in the pursuit for her own money? And uh, yeah, I've just been kind of reading that and kind of absorbing it and how there there was Stanford's Tara Vanderveer, pretty famous women's basketball coach, I believe, basically said that, I guess sometimes we have this swinging pendulum where we maybe take two steps forward and then we take a step back. We're all fighting for the opportunities to compete, to play, to have resources, to have facilities, to have coaches and all the things that go with Olympic caliber athletes. This is a step back referring to Olivia Dunn's social media account and the way that she's making her money. This has been kind of on my mind. I think it's pretty messed up that they're trying to disparage her for making her money. But- yeah, I, I, re- I read this article too uh, a couple days ago, and I had a very similar reaction to it. First, let's just clarify, like, her Instagram is a standard college student's Instagram. Like, it's not like she's posing nude or anything like that, like, no, it's just I'm wearing nice clothes and posing like any other college student would. And she's well aware of the fact that she has a very small opportunity to, uh, you know, monetize her gymnastic abilities. She doesn't disparage anyone for, you know, how they want to go about trying to maximize their earnings in college. I think there could be a deeper discussion to be had, but the article did not put that together. It really is just one thing where, there are many different ways to go about monetizing your abilities. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people that still believe, quote unquote, sex sells, even if you're not really even sexualizing yourself, just like you existing is sexualizing yourself. So I, I, 
it was an interesting article. Not the not the best well written. It didn't have like the best thesis about it, but it, it is interesting to think about the ways that nil deals are made now because they are very hodgepodge in who they you know pick or don't pick. A lot of white girls are getting more deals than women of color, despite women of color having more athletes in college proportionately. So it, it's a weird one. But I thought uh, the article itself was interesting, if not perfectly well-written. But I'm glad that Rob brought that up. Yeah, that's how I felt. To your point, Xavier, I think there's a lot of navigating to still do in the NIL space. It's very new. And by and large, it's a good thing that athletes are able to be paid for the work they do on the field, the, the marketing value that they represent. I think those are all good things. The one thing that sticks out in my mind, and I kind of go back to some of what Jesse was saying last week, you know, similar to ice skating, like gymnastics, like you are literally graded on your appearance to a certain extent. Are you smiling for the judges? Are you hitting the exact right pose and putting your body in the exact right way? So like me, especially with gymnastics, it seems silly to say, oh, she's sexualizing herself when like, I'm sorry, like your presentation is quite literally part of your score. The sporting environment has already, to an extent, sexualized the individuals that are participating in it because it is naturally selected towards that being what wins. Right, exactly. And like, and yeah, and sexualizing is the term that they're using. You know, if I were to, I don't know exactly what word I would come up with it, but I don't think sexualizing is necessarily the best word to use for it you know that's that's maybe a conversation for people who spend a lot more time in this space particularly the gymnastics one and uh, b also people that are smarter than us because i think uh, each of us will admit we are not as equipped to discuss this as uh we're big dumb dummies as four (laughs) dumb dumbs up here exactly in short shitty that uh olivia dunn is being treated that way i say get your money girl (laughs) whatever way you can for as long as you can she snapped back at him on instagram with a picture of her in her actual gymnast uniform saying is this too sexualized for you it was pretty funny there's my Uh, point (laughs) yeah like yeah it's half her photos are just her in her uniform it's like this is what they're making her wear anyway You you can't like you can't fault the girl for wearing her literal uniform and then being like wow her uniform's sexualized like that's not her fault she's just wearing her uniform and doing what she loves. That's kind of, it was just on my mind the last couple days after I read it. I appreciate you bringing that to us. And Diaz, I want to say real quick, we may be big dumb dummies, but I think you're still plenty qualified. In fact, I think you are more than qualified to contribute what's making memories for you right now. Well, on our last episode, I said that I was going to call my shot and the Phillies were going to win in seven. I didn't account for Rob Thompson's magical run of making every right decision to suddenly come to an end when, with his ace on the hill, having not been hit hard once all night and on 70 pitches, he decided to pull Zach Wheeler. It it was funny because, so I was watching this game with my girlfriend and like a lot of our mutual friends and the, the people I was watching with would be the first to admit they don't watch a lot of baseball. They don't really understand baseball. And Every single person in that room immediately said, why is he taking out the good pitcher? And I just had to sit there and say, I don't know. I knew what the logic was. Lefty on lefty, get, get Alvarado in. But 
Jordan Alvarez absolutely murders a baseball over the center field of batter's eye. And I deluded myself into thinking that we had a chance the rest of the way. But I think anybody watching that game knew in that instant, the game was over. But I've had enough time now to, you know, put the season back in context. On September 15th, I probably would have said it's more likely than not the Phillies don't even make the playoffs. I thought they were going to choke. And we end up two wins away from winning it all. You know, we got an exciting team. We're going to hopefully bring in Trey Turner. There's a lot of rumors that we're going to get Trey Turner. You're going to get uh, Yoshida from, from Nippon. He wants very badly. Yoshida, who is like, Yoshida makes my Allen Iverson fandom of my youth look tame in comparison to how much that dude fucking loves Bryce Harper. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel real optimistic that if there's any mutual interest there whatsoever, we will get Yoshida. Trey Turner, I think, is going to be a Philly of the CS ad, maybe one or two more starters reload and, uh, and come back for next year. So Phillies are making memories, also making memories. It's about to be a, a winter wonderland uh, on Tyneside up in Newcastle because holy shit, we are almost halfway through the season and it is guaranteed that on Christmas Day, Newcastle United will be in a Champions League position. There's a lot more season to be played thereafter. <laughs> a lot of things can change, but we are genuinely one of the best teams in England and it's been long enough. And we've had enough injuries that we have overcome and survived that I think is not a hyperbole. I think Newcastle is one of the best teams in England. Big win in the Carabao Cup in penalties. And uh, we got a whole bunch of guys going to represent their teams in the World Cup. We're going to have uh, Trippier, Callum Wilson, and Nick Pope. We've got Bruno, who is the love of my life. It's a real exciting time. It's a real exciting time to be a Newcastle fan. About 13 months ago. We were dead last in the league and, you know, looking like we're looking at another relegation. And I was wondering, why the fuck did I do this to myself, picking this team that is just perpetually on the yo-yo, up and down? And now here we are. Newcastle's amazing. Newcastle's going to keep winning. I'll wait, lads. God, I cannot wait to save up money and get over there. I will ball my eyes out the first time I set foot in St. James Park. Ownership of Newcastle. Please give some of your blood money directly to Diaz for airfare. He deserves it, and you have plenty of it anyway. I've, I've given the, the sweat and the tears. It's time that I receive the blood in the form of money. <laughs> but yeah, Newcastle making amazing memories for me. And just once again, thank you, 2022 Philadelphia Phillies, for reminding me what my favorite drug is. And it's playoff baseball, baby. Injected straight into my veins. Speaking of fans of teams that did ultimately lose to the world champion Astros, Xavier, how are you doing over there? Who's making memories for you? I'm doing all right. And, you know, I've got two things that I want to talk about. One of them is an older story that I just happened to find out that I think is fantastic. Uh, so I'm going to lead with that one. So Robert Parrish, Hall of Fame NBA player, do you know what his stats were in college? Absolutely not. They don't exist because Robert Parrish went to Centenary. The Centenary gentleman at Centenary College of Louisiana. So Robert Parrish was from Shreveport and wanted to stay home at Shreveport. So he went to a school that had 700 people and did play D1 sports at the time. They no, they no longer do. 
But the issue that happened was the the NCA used to have a rule called the 1.6 rule. They had to convert your GPA or your your standardized tests into a 4.0 scale. And if you had a 1.6 or higher, you were deemed eligible for college sports. Okay. So Louisiana, especially a lot of rural parts of Louisiana, had a different type of standardized test. Centenary, what they did was they would convert these tests into the 4.0 scale based on their grading scale. And, you know, that was that. And because they were so small, the NCAA had never cared to look at it at all. Then Robert Parrish enrolls and they say, hey, you can't do this. And they're like, why not? The rules don't say we can't. And the NCAA's response was, the rules don't say you can. So they say, you either have to ban all of the players who you've done this for or remove their scholarships. And Centenary said, no. So the NCA decided to say, all right, you're on probation for six years where nothing you do counts and we will not record any of it. So the day they get put on probation, the NCA realized their 1.6 rule is stupid and revokes it. So Centenary says, okay, are we good? And the NCA says, no, you're still punished. And so for all of Robert Parrish's career, Centenary would send his stats to the NCA like every other school did so the NCA could compile it. And the NCA just ghosted them. Never recorded anything he did. They even made the AP Top 20 poll at one point, which was wild because their record was technically zero and zero. So he, he still gets drafted despite having stats of zero and a record of zero because the NCA, out of spite, refused to record anything he did. That sounds like the NCAA, I know. Such a stupid organization. <laughs> it has absolutely no reason to exist. I want to abolish the NCAA. Just remember, nobody won the 2005 Heisman. The, the, the best part of this, because he was still so good, he ended up playing for Team USA at the Pan American Games in 75 after his junior season. And because the NCA had blocked all of his stats, they didn't recommend him being allowed to go. But his coaches were able to convince the Team USA people to let him have a tryout. Ends up getting unanimously elected captain, and they win the Pan American Games with him leading the way as the, their best player. It's just the NCA did their best to try to hide him from the world, and it did not work. So that's the story that's been on my mind for about a week since I first saw it. The other thing I want to talk about was another small school story. Have you heard of St. Thomas in Minnesota? I have, and I think this is a hockey story that you're about to tell. It is not a hockey story. Wow. So, St. Thomas is a small school in Minnesota, and they were previously founding members of the MIAC conference, which is a D3 conference in Minnesota. In 2019, they got kicked out of their conference for competitive parity, you know, in a, a similar way that Temple got kicked out of the Big East. But St. Thomas's problem wasn't that they were too bad. They were too good. They were crushing teams by 80 or 90 to nothing in football. And all of the other schools hated them for it. So they all went around St. Thomas's back and voted to kick them out of the league for being too good. So St. Thomas needs to find, okay, what are we going to do now? And there were options maybe to go to D2. St. Thomas decides that we're going to petition the NCAA to go directly to FCS from D3. Normally, you'd have to take 12 years 
was spending five years in D2 before moving up to D1 FCS level. They get a waiver that they can go straight to FCS and they're on probation for five years before they can be eligible for playoffs uh, or post any sort of postseason play. So they end up in the Pioneer League, which is a hodgepodge league in FCS, like all over the country. Davidson, Dayton, Marist, Valpo, San Diego, Stetson, Presbyterian. The same conference, you say? It is a conference where they do not give scholarships or athletic scholarships. So it's just all of these non-athletic scholarship giving teams all in their own FCS conference that spans the entire country. This is their second year of playing FCS football. Second year of playing outside of D3 football. They're 8-1 and and ranked number 23 in the coaches poll for FCS. Half their team are still people who recruited when they were playing D3 Minnesota Athletic Conference football. And they are ranked and would be going to the playoffs if they were eligible. That is the most insane thing I've ever heard. And yet they're just somehow still dominating. I, I'll give them three more years before they get kicked out of FCS for being too good and end up in D1 somehow. And be the next like Vandy of only having 6,000 people. I thought that was fantastic. I want them to keep doing great and then not be eligible for the playoffs for another three years and just give themselves FCS national championships for four years in a row. So, you know, we'll see what happens. I don't know. I don't know if Davidson gets their auto bid or not, but I do love the idea of a team still full of D3 athletes dominating on the FCS level. It, Xavier, did you mention what the University of St. Thomas Athletics nickname is? Do you want to say it? I know the answer, but you could say it if you'd like. They're the St. Thomas Tommies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Tommies. I, the only thing that they could do to win me over more than what you just presented, Xavier, is if they got all of their student athletes to ch- legally change their first name to Tommy. <laughs> they are the only Tommies. Tom or Thomas. They can pick from any of those. It's just got to be a Tom Root name. You have so many options. Like uh, the female athletes can go for like Tamara. You can go crazy. <laughs> Tomantha. Tomanthony. Well, Xavier, I'm. I'm so glad that you brought up former D3 players because that leads perfectly into someone that's making memories for me right now. Have you guys heard about Ryan Terrell? I've heard the name before. I definitely have. So Ryan Terrell is the first Orthodox Jewish pro basketball player. He graduated recently from Yeshiva University where he led the nation in scoring as a member of the D3 powerhouse Maccabees at Yeshiva University. (laughs) Which just last year in December, they finally lost after a 50-game win streak. He was, after that, drafted into the G League by the Motor City Crews. That is the Pistons affiliate, which is also located in Detroit. And he finally, this week, got his debut. He did play during Shabbat, but the team has actually made it so there are going to be a lot of concessions to allow this guy to still play while being relatively observant. They are making sure to get hotels within walking distance of the arenas because he can't take the bus with the team from the hotel to the arena. But as long as he can walk, it's okay. They are providing him with four kosher meals every day. And he did not travel back home immediately with the team the day after on the bus. He did again have to wait until Shabbat was over, but they had commissioned a separate car for him to take him that way. Also, when he came onto the court, he was wearing a yarmulke with the logo of the team. That's fantastic. That's so good. Now, I'm sure you want to hear the stats. 
when he came in, the crews were down 25 points with three minutes and 40 seconds left in the fourth. He played only the four minutes remaining, did go 0 for 1 with shooting, did collect one foul, and he did also, despite being a very godly man, break the eighth commandment. He did record exactly one steal during the game. <laughs> the other group of people that are making memories for me right now are the voters for the Salona Beach School Board. That is a school board in San Diego County, where recently former baseball player and current most divorced man of all time, Aubrey Huff, <laughs> ran for the Board of Education. He ran for the local Board of Education, but there's heavy air quotes around that ran. He had no platform and uh, no candidate statement that he ever submitted, only listed his profession as former baseball player, did not appear in any debate, and currently with 1,900 votes, he is sitting at 19.4% of the total vote. The voters of the Salona Beach School Board have utterly rejected him. You'd think that 19.4% is as pathetic as Aubrey Huff could be, but I do want to point out, that is slightly higher than his batting average during his final full season of baseball, which was 192. Go to hell, Aubrey Huff, you miserable bastard. And thank you so much, voters for the Salona Board of Education. Aubrey Huff, one of the few people I will not describe as an Orioles legend. And I'm going to go ahead and just throw a ban in here while we're at it and thinking about him. But you voters, and anyone that voted that's listening to this now last week, Hey, it kind of went all right. And that's all we need to say about that as we move in to our main topic today. Guys, it's a four-year consideration. We've got a guy that is going to be brought to us by our good friend here, Rob, our esports correspondent. We, we got that little taste there, but I understand that the guy you brought to us, we're, we're going to remain in this realm? No, it's a different game. But, uh, sure, but we are remaining in the esports realm. Oh, yes, yes. League of Legends had probably its greatest storyline of all time play out last weekend at the world finals in the chase arena actually which they sold out pretty crazy but yeah i'm gonna explain one of the players that was there isn't officially retired but he said he's probably gonna retire his storyline going into it was that he's gonna retire storyline after was that he's gonna retire but he hasn't made an official i'm retired comment so we don't know it's a little up in the air but before i get into it there's a few things we got to go over so that everyone kind of understands what's going on. Part of it is how League is played. Part of it is the esports scene in general. And part of it is another player who factors in very heavily. And if you don't know enough about League of Legends, you kind of have to explain this player. You'll, you'll see why shortly. The important things to know about League, I'm not going to go too in-depth about it, but the game is five on five. You draft your players in the beginning, and then your goal is to destroy the enemy's nexus. It's basically just a base-killing game. There's three lanes and one jungle on each side, mirrored. There's three turrets in each lane, one inhibitor in each lane, and then two nexus turrets, and then the nexus. So if you don't kill the nexus, you don't win the game. The way the lanes usually break down, and this is buy gold because you need gold to buy items items make you stronger makes it easier to win there's a laner in the top he's called the top lane because people are descriptive there's someone who sits in there's someone who sits in the jungle there's someone who sits in the middle lane and then there's two players in the bot lane 
generally the reason it breaks out like this is because we've we've put all the tom over in the saint thomas tommies we scratched the tom here it's just the bot lane yep so the the reason it breaks out like this is for a couple reasons so there's objectives on the map a dragon and a giant worm called baron baron only spawns after 20 minutes but it's the top side objective Dragon is the bottom side objective, and it spawns at four minutes. So it's typically more important at the beginning of the game. The other thing is how quickly the minions get to the lane, and how easy it is for the characters to move from lane to lane. So top lane is usually engaged champions, bruisers, someone who can stand on their own, and in a team fight will be a factor on the front line. Jungle is typically your facilitator. They come out of the fog of war, They can't be seen until they walk into an area where there's minions or items called wards that give vision. So they're kind of the person who makes the plays most of the time. The mid laner is considered your secondary carry or your secondary facilitator, but normally they're either the secondary carry of the team or they're the person making plays because they're the closest to both side lanes, so they can make plays on either side. Your bot lane carry is your primary carry. Their whole job in the early game is to get as strong as possible with as many items as possible so that they can kill all the enemy people. And then the bot laner gets an extra person to babysit them called the support. Pretty much just to babysit them. Rob, would you say that the the top lane is essentially like a tank, the jungle was a support, and then the bottom lane is your attacker, your damage dealer? Kind of. It, it, it varies depending on what champions you pick, but yeah, it, it generally breaks down to the mid laners care more about their levels than their gold as a carry, so you typically will put someone in there who gains a lot of power from levels. Because when you level up, you get more levels into, okay. your, into your abilities, so they get solo EXP because they care more about their levels, and then your bot lane carry is someone who cares more about their gold, so they get someone whose entire job it is is to either kill the enemy bot laner so they can't farm, or to protect you from dying to the enemy bot lane so you can. Yeah. And then eventually and, that person's job is to win. And there, this there are, is being accumulated match to match within the match, so it's not like any kind of pay-to-play system or anything. Right, this yeah, is so, more farming that gold within the match as you grind up a couple levels. Right, exactly. So minions will spawn. They're, they're AI characters. Every 30 seconds, they run into each other. If you hit the last hit on them, you get gold. It's different gold for each minion that you kill. And then there's also the jungle camps, which the jungler will farm, that also give you gold that have different spawn timers. That's how you generate gold. Then you buy items. And then eventually, you push down and win the game. That well, is all you guys really need to know about how League works. For the most I part... just clarify one last question that I had that you, I think, answered there? Yeah. The minions and the turrets, that is the game itself as a neutral aggressor against both parties, not controlled by one party antagonistic against the other. Exactly, yep. Okay, it's cool. just controlled by the game. Works. The only other thing that's going to come up later is that inhibitors basically turn your minions into super minions. So when you break the inhibitor in that lane, your minions become super minions and now are stronger than the enemy minions at all times and make it easier for you to end the game. That's the only other thing that's going to become relevant. Inhibitors respawn after five minutes. Everything else, once it dies, stays permanently dead. So if you kill a tower, it's permanently dead. Other than that, you don't really need to know a lot about the nuances of League. The important stats that we're going to be tracking are average kills per game, average deaths per game, Average assists, gold per minute the character generates, 
and then their damage percentage for the game, how much damage they did as a part of their team, and then their damage per minute. Those are typically the most important factors when you're talking about a carry, who's this character, the person that we're talking about, is a carry? Yeah. So those, so are, those points, are the stats we're going to look fouls, at. We got win shares. This all makes sense. Yeah. So now we're going we're gonna to flash back to 2010. League is, is a baby. It just got out of beta in 2009. It's in its first season, professionally and casually. At this time, there's only one region, the North American region, where Riot Games first introduced the game. A lot of Asian players are playing on the North American server because Korea is the mecca of esports. They are everything in esports. It's, it's regulated by the government. Kids push for it in high school and classes. It's, it's massive. Video games are huge in Korea. At this time, League of Legends is somewhere in the 15th to 16th most played game. The most played game is a game called StarCraft, and StarCraft has been the most played game for almost 10 years. You guys think that, like, these high school esport athletes in Korea, are they like the same as the stereotypical like jocks in American culture where like they get their varsity jackets and they like bully the, the kids that aren't as good at the games? <laughs> they bet it. That'd be awesome. I don't know about the bullying, but I can tell you that if you go to any of these tournaments with some of these big Korean athletes, there will be girls in the crowd that have I love you and marry me signs. No Hell joke. Yeah. These crowd, they, they are selling out stadiums. There are specific esports stadiums. It's huge. Massive telecommunication companies are sponsors for these teams. Crazy. Is it big enough to get them out of compulsory military service? It is not. That is okay. the only thing it is not big enough to do. I mean, if BTS isn't enough to get you out right. of compulsory military service, I do not know what is. So League starts in 2010. A lot of Korean players are playing on the North American server, but they don't have their own server. Flash forward to 2012, Korea gets its own server. And in their first year with their own server, it jumps to almost 24% of players playing at PC bangs, 3 million concurrent users. This is League's explosion. League becomes the second biggest game in Korea basically overnight. And in their first year... Korea comes in second in the world finals. They have had their server for less than a year, and they're already the second best region in the world. And the only team they lost to, the Korean team was supposed to win. They lost on like a miracle run by a Vietnamese team that came out of nowhere that was like playing on the Korean server. The other thing that's important to know is there's two major tournaments in League of Legends, the Mid-Season Invitational and World Finals. These are the only two international tournaments. And the way you qualify them is in Korea, you can only make it to the mid-seasonal invitation by being the first place team. If you're not first place, you can't make the mid-season invitational. And for world finals, there's three ways you can make it. You can qualify based on points. So your placement at the end of the playoffs gives you a point value for both the winter, spring, and summer seasons. After the summer seasons, the team with the highest qualifier points is second place. And then the team that wins summer is also auto-qualified as first place. So your first and second seed. And then the third seed is qualified through a regional qualifier, which is a gauntlet-style run. So you have to play the lowest raid seed, which is usually the sixth seed, 
plays the fifth seed. The winner of that has to play the fourth seed. The winner of that has to play the third seed. And then the winner of that is the team that goes through. So if you want to make a run, you really have to put in work. And each one of these is best of five. So you have to win four best of fives if you're the sixth place team. Right around 2013, our player and another player that's very important. So our guy, Kim Hyuk Yu, which I'm never going to say his name again. <laughs> Kim, Kim, Kim Hyuk Kyu. Kim Hyuk Kyu, cool. Also known as Deft. We're going to refer to him as Deft for the rest of the time so I don't butcher his name. And, an, and a man named Faker, Lee Sang Hyuk. These are two high school students. At the time, they're 16 in 2013. They both drop out of high school because Deft is top 100 ranked Korean player and Faker is number one. He's the number one casual ladder player in ranked League of Legends. They both drop out of high school and join teams. Faker joins SKT1 and the guy we're talking about, Deft, gets picked up by MVP Blue. Two very young kids join a league that's about a year and a half old now at this point. In his first year, in the spring, Deft goes 3-7. and seven. Terrible start. They get obliterated. Nothing goes right. But he has pretty good stats. He's kind of seen as that young rookie that can do some things. I couldn't actually find his statistical numbers at this time. They don't start coming out to like 2015. But he's doing pretty well. All the analysts say that he's pretty good. Meanwhile, Faker is taking over. He solo kills the best mid laner at the time, Ambition. Whoa, whoa, Ambition! What? Faker just executes Ambition in that mid lane. I, I have never seen Ambition die like that in lane. Maybe we'll get away. No, there's a spear. A double kill for Faker. What a statement by this solo Q hero. He kills him so badly, the guy roll swaps to jungle. They go that is the thing like Miles Garrett just beating yeah. up fucking Mason Rudolph so badly. Just imagine he just retired right afterwards. Right. The, the, that's essentially what he did. His first professional game ever, he makes someone oh, quit the role. Shit. <laughs> this kid later goes on to, his team takes first place in spring so our, our deft is three and seven doesn't make playoffs faker comes in first they skip forward to the summer deft does a little bit better they're two and four this time it's not good but it's better meanwhile faker wins worlds in his first year so now we've got these two high school kids one of them's at the top of the world and one of them's kind of lowly down here at the bottom Fast forward to 2014 winter, Faker continues his tear. SKT in the winter season doesn't lose a single game. Def's team goes 500. So they're getting better. They're, they're improving. And around this time in the spring of 2014, MVP Blue, the team that Def plays for, is bought out by Samsung. And they're renamed to Samsung Blue. And in that time, they pick up the top prospect of that rookie year, Dade. He's a mid laner. He's supposed to be the faker killer. This is what he's touted as. <laughs> that's, that's what he's brought up to. Raptured in all of this. <laughs> right around spring, Samsung Blue takes off. They go three and three in the winter. They pick up Dade. They come first place in the regular season, five and one. And at this time, there are sister teams, which are basically scrim partners. So in Korea, you would have a sister team, and your sister team is the only team you would scrim against. You wouldn't play against anyone else, so you wouldn't leak strategies. And their sister team 
beats SKT in the playoffs in quarterfinals, knocks them out. Def's team, Samsung Blue, takes on their sister team, stomps them. 3-0, they go on to win the spring finals. Def's stepping up, they're moving on, they're looking real good. In summer, same thing happens. They take off in first place, they go to the finals, but this time they actually lose to an upstart team called KT Rolster, who came out of literally nowhere. But interestingly enough, SKT and Faker don't make worlds. Because they lost in the quarterfinals both times, they end up dropping out in the regional qualifiers, and they don't make worlds at all. So now the, the reigning champion's not there, and our boy Deft, he's looking real good. He's got both first-place finishes. He's got second place in summer playoffs. Going into the world finals, Samsung Blue and Samsung White are the one and two. Everyone expects them to win. It's not even supposed to be close. But interestingly enough, Samsung Blue, Def's team, is not projected to win. Every pundit, every analyst thinks that Samsung White is the better team. And the only reason that Samsung Blue has been beating them is because they're scrim partners and they're basically like a matchup deletion. Samsung White decides we're not going to scrim you at all at Worlds. We're now competing against each other, we're not friends. We're going to go compete against these other teams. You compete and scrim with who you want. We're competing for the title. Samsung Blue makes the semifinals against their sister team and gets obliterated. It was the fastest 3-0 at the time. Wasn't even close. They get absolutely destroyed. Deft falls out in the semifinals. Samsung White goes on to win Worlds. That's wild to think about. Just like you're... It almost sounds like your reserve team just said, you know what? No, we're better than you. Fuck you. We're going to be number one. And then they yeah. do it. Yeah. And they it was convincing. It wasn't close. What is like Deft's role on the team? If so I Deft is 80 carry. He's the primary carry of the team. Okay. So from now on, I have stats. So you'll, you'll start seeing stats. Okay, cool. Um, cool. In 2015, China, under Tencent, buys out Riot Games. So now Tencent owns Riot Games. And the Chinese organizers and sponsors decide, hey, league's popping off in China. It's the biggest game. We're going to start winning. So what do they do? They start offering all of these Korean young players, Deft, the whole Samsung white team, the whole Samsung blue team, Faker, absurd contracts. At this time, the players are making something like 20 to 30k USD. Decent money, but for a whole year's of work with how much effort they're putting in, it's really not great. Def gets offered $1.2 million a year to move to China and join this Chinese team EDG. Of course he takes it. Of course he takes it. You know, 1.2 mil? How is he not going to take that? You know, the, the Samsung's telling them, hey, we can raise it to 100K. No, I'm taking the, the 1.2. The 0.2 in that 1.2 million is already 10 times more than right. he's making. Right. So. At this time, a huge portion of the professional population of Korea just leaves. They all move to China. They all join the Chinese League. Notably, Faker doesn't. In an effort to keep Faker, SKT says that, hey, we can raise your salary to this amount. It won't be the same as what you can get there. But we're also going to offer every person in your family a job at the telecom headquarters for the rest of their lives. As long as they want a job, we'll give them a job. So Faker stays. Probably the only big-name Korean star 
who actually stays in Korea. All the rest of them leave. During this Korean exodus, Deft joins a, a former co-worker of his on Samsung, Pawn. They join EDG. They go into this Demacia Cup. It's the first tournament of the LPL, the Chinese leagues. They go undefeated. Throughout the spring season, they get first in the league, only dropping six games. Every game's a best of three. They drop six games total over a 40-game season. They go to the first MSI finals, and who do they meet? SKT and Faker. They're going into game five. Everyone thinks SKT is going to win. At this time, Faker is undefeated on a character called LeBlanc. He's in 30 professional games. He has never lost. Deft, knowing this, convinces his team to bait out the LeBlanc pick earlier in the draft, and then they pick a counter that no one expected. There's a champion in the game called Morgana. One of her spells is literally CC immunity, and she hard counters LeBlanc. Part of the reason is LeBlanc has to jump into melee range when she deals damage, and it makes it so that Morgana can hit all of her CC, and Morgana can't be traded on because she has the shield. They pick Morgana mid. No one's ever done this before. And they win. Deft gets his first major win in a tournament. He wins the MSA finals. He does it against Faker. This is everything. This is what he's been waiting for. This is why he moved to China. He's on this great team. Everything's looking good. They move to summer. They have a great season, but they end up losing in the summer finals. But they qualify as the second seed with their points. They face SKT in groups and get stomped. But they do enough to come in second, and they make it out of groups. They make it to the quarterfinal round. They get 3-0'd by a random European team. And guess what? Our boy Faker wins Worlds again. He's still winning totally like just with whoever was left from the Korean League. And so Yeah, so he, he picked up a bunch of Korean rookies. He takes them to MSI Finals and the World Finals, wins World. He's got his second Worlds title. The only person that stayed with him was his jungler, Bangi. He's the only person that stayed, and Bangi and him are basically, they're the one-two punch of SKT. They take the World Finals. He's got two wins. Now, League's only been out for five years. There's only been four World Champions. Faker has two of them now. This is unprecedented. The only image that comes to mind for me, this is like the Jimmy Butler practice before he got himself forced off the Wolves. <laughs> like, I'm going to take the fucking third string, and you fuckers need me to win. Except he didn't just do this in a practice. He did this on the world stage. Yeah. You know what it reminds me of? It's making me think of the uh, 06, 07 Cavs, if they had actually won. Or just LeBron and a bunch of people or guys. Eric Snows, Adrunas Ogoskis, Booby Gibson, Sasha. Oh, no, they didn't didn't have Sasha. They had uh, guys. Anderson Verisha. Anderson Verisha, yes. It makes me think of that. It's just like, this guy and then all of the actual schmucks. guys. We can, we can call them yeah. what they are, schmucks. Yeah, he, he's a legend. And he gets rewarded for it. So Faker earns the Bonjois throne. He's the first non-StarCraft player ever to earn the Bonjois throne. And I have a bit of an essay that I'm going to read. It basically describes what is the Bonjois throne and how is it relevant. The term originated from Buddhism. And it's typically used to call yourself. You call yourself a bourgeois, but it eventually develops in the StarCraft scene 
to refer to the most dominant player of the time. Three StarCraft players have ever earned the Bonjois throne, and those three players were so good at the time when they won the throne that it was a foregone conclusion that they were going to win every tournament. They were going undefeated. They were stomping players by unheard of margins. And at this time, they're playing in the most competitive region, Korea. It's the only region that matters for StarCraft. They're stomping everyone. This is momentous. Faker's the first person ever to get this throne. It's, it's huge. The fact that they put him on the throne before the 2016 season is basically a call that Korea is saying, we have the best player in the world. You can't beat him. It doesn't matter what you do. I don't care if you're deaf. I don't care if you're China. I don't care who you are. We have Faker, Korea's winning world. What does the throne look like? Because I'm trying to it's find just, a, a it's video just a right recliner. Now. It's just a recliner chair. It's not really it. Oh, it's more confidence. It's a physical like, object. I thought you were going to say there was nothing. It's Faker in an arena with yep. people. It, everything's dark, but with lights shining only on him and people waving like a like wands. And it just cuts to him sitting on this recliner on the stage with yep. tens of thousands of people screaming. Yeah, like this is the most badass anyone has ever looked in a recliner. Yeah, no, it, it, it actually is, like, having played League of Legends for all this time, this was huge. Because Faker is starting to be talked about like Michael Jordan at this point. He is so dominant compared to everyone else that people are saying in his third year, hey, this is the GOAT of our competition. There is no other one. This is our and guy. And he's not even he, 20 yet. Right. And he earns the sobriquet, the Unkillable Demon King. That <laughs> is his title. Awesome. Meanwhile, Deft, our good friend Deft, earns the sobriquet, the alpaca. Why? Because he looks like an alpaca. Why? <laughs> People aren't very imaginative. He's the alpaca. How are you going to put an alpaca up against the Demon King? That's not The fair. unkillable Demon King. The unkillable Demon King. So skip back to our boy Deft. He has another good spring season in 2016. He stays in China. He wins spring. He wins summer, and they qualify for Worlds as the first seed. At this time, Deft is the undisputed second-best AD carry in the world. He's top two KDA, top two damage percent, top two gold per minute, beating players by unheard of margins, and the only player that's considered better than him is another Chinese player called Uzi, who was so good, he was referred to as Mr. President. And all four players on his team would basically sacrifice their lives in team fights so that this guy could beat you because they knew that they couldn't beat you unless Uzi killed you. So Uzi's the number 180 carry, Def's number two. Def makes it out of quarterfinals in first place. They're looking good. They face the Rocks Tigers. It's the third best Korean team, a bunch of rookies that no one cares about, and they get stopped. They lose 3-1. Def goes out in quarters, and would you believe it, our boy Faker he wins Worlds again. Easy clap, defends the title. He's now at his third title all time. Interestingly enough, they bench Bangi earlier in the tournament. They start losing. They put Bangi back in. They crush all the way to the finals. They crush Rocks Tigers 3-0. Easy win. It's his, it's his like, personal catcher. This is like the 92 Dream Team when they benched Michael Jordan when they played against the, the, the scrub team so that they could lose. Just to, like, put it in the team's head. Like, listen, you can lose. You create that sense of urgency. 2017, there's an announcement. Deft is leaving China. He's going back to Korea. 
His trip to China wasn't as fun as he thought. They played well, but he doesn't really speak Mandarin very well. He's kind of tired of talking through a translator. And the Chinese fans never really warmed to him the way that they were told that they were going to warm to them before they joined the Chinese League. He comes back to KR and he creates the super team. It's basically every old Chinese player, every player that left China that hasn't beaten Faker, and they put them all in one roster. This is how we're going to beat Faker. We're going to take literally every god player, we're going to put them all on one roster. Faker can't beat us. There's no way. The roster is score, considered the best jungler at the time. His good friend Pawn, the same guy he was playing mid lane with at EDG. Smeb, the highest touted rookie top laner. And Mata, who interestingly enough was considered the reason that Samsung White, back in 2014, won their world title. Mata is considered the best support in the world. That's why they won. Deft gets to play with him now. This team should, on paper, be everything you need to win a title. Or at the very least, beat Faker, right? They get first seed into playoffs. They're playing in the semifinals against SKT. What happens? Faker 3-0s them. They get absolutely destroyed. That's got to be so disheartening. It's like, we're going to put together the best team money can buy solely to crush this one guy. And then he makes them his bitch yet yeah, again. That's exactly what happened. A sweep is bad. It's, it, it was bad. It was bad to watch. Because KT Rolster is actually the rival team of SKT because they're actually rival telecom communication companies. And they would specifically put them against each other in all esports games. And it was touted as the big rivalry match. KT's here. They're here to play. They can finally beat SKT. They beat them twice in the regular season. This is their chance. And they get dominated. Not even close. They, again, have an incredible summer regular season. They're the first seed going in. They play SKT in the finals this time. But they lose 3-2. It's a better finals, but they lose to Faker again. And at this time, Deft has the best stats of any player. He's the best KDA, the best average kills, the highest damage percentage. He's higher than Faker in every countable statistic that we have, and he still can't beat Faker. If you'll go back to how to qualify to Worlds, I mentioned if you come in first place in summer, you get to go to Worlds, but second place is not second place. They need to qualify by qualifier points. And interestingly enough, because they dropped out in the semifinals the year before, they are not second place. They're actually third by less than 100 points to the team that came into the finals the season before. And so they have to go through the qualifier. So now they have to go and play more best of five so that they can try and make the world finals. In the last game, they lose to Samsung Galaxy, who interestingly enough, has the player who roll-swapped because he lost to Faker Ambition, Samsung Galaxy goes on to beat Faker in the finals of Worlds. Ambition gets his revenge. He finally gets to say F you to Faker. He gets his win. It wasn't in his original role. It wasn't the way he wanted it, but he gets his win. And also, the best music video that League of Legends has ever made, because they always make a Worlds music video. Interestingly enough, this year was from Lil Nas X. But yeah, the best one, incredible story. Ambition gets his win, but Def doesn't even make worlds. He's sitting on the couch. I like that they named the team. It's just the name of the phone. It's just yep. Samsung Galaxy. It, yep. We're not going to be creative in any way. 
This nope. is our phone. 2018, KT Rolster decides, hey, we have the super team. We're not going to change anything. It wasn't us. We just played bad. We're going to step it up. They get a new coach. They're like, we're going to win this. We, we got the team. We have the players. It's not the players. This is us. They fall out in playoff quarterfinals in the spring after a disappointing fourth place finish. Deft, top three in his position in every metric. They come out reinvigorated in the summer after a terrible finish, and they win the summer finals, and they're the first seed to the 2018 world. They're ready. They're going to win the worlds. This is Deft's chance. SKT actually doesn't even make worlds this year. Deft finally has his chance. There's no sister team. There's no faker. They got this. They come out first seed in the groups. They play against IG, a Chinese team. IG destroys them. IG goes on to win the tournament with two Korean players for the first Chinese victory. Complete stomp of Deft. Deft falls in the quarterfinals again. So now he's got one Worlds that he didn't make, one Worlds that he made semifinals, and two quarterfinal failures. He just can't seem to get over that hurdle and get to that next part. Score decides to retire, so they got to break up KT Rolster. Def leaves and joins a new team, Kingzone Dragon X, also a telecommunication company. That's an awesome name. Yeah, it's a, a great fantastic name. And he joins a completely rookie roster, except for his good friend Pawn, who comes back to join him in the mid lane. They do pretty well in the spring year, make the finals, but they get 3 0'd by, you guessed it, Faker and SKT. Has Faker, he's only ever played on the one team. Faker has never left SK Telecom. I do gotta hand it to Faker. Like, he is pretty he's the phenomenal goat. and clearly very loyal. Yeah. We just, while we're discussing another phenomenal guy, Deft, I do gotta hand it to Faker. Yeah, it, 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 it's pretty crazy. And they went to the same high school. Like, he's been living in this dude's shadow since he was a kid. And they're, yeah, this, you know, 22 at this point, and he's been living in the same dude's shadow for six years. I don't know if there's a South Korean-specific term for animation, but this sure sounds like an anime storyline to me. And interestingly it's enough, it. in that spring, Deft is one point from MVP for the season. He loses by one vote to a young superstar mid laner named Chovy. After that spring season, they fall apart. They come seventh. They don't qualify for Worlds. Deft is the only player who plays even remotely well. Top three stats. Every other player on the team shits the bed. They're screwed. 2019, a Chinese team wins again. It's looking like China owns Worlds now. China's now taken over as the big dog region. 2020, you'll remember our boy MVP Chovy from last year, decides to team up with Deft. They're going to do it now. Pawn retires. They pick up the superstar rookie, Caria, and a young jungler who is kind of okay, but nobody really has any hype for. They place third, but they lose to Faker in the quarterfinals in spring again. Gotta get a better jungler. Jungler is my favorite <laughs> position. Yeah, it's a pretty great position. By a wide margin. And then in summer, they play well again but they lose 3-0 to the eventual world's winners, Damwon. Come out of nowhere, revolutionize the way the game is played, 
Their support develops an entirely new way to play the game. They changed and the meta? They did. They Well, they didn't change the meta in the positions, but they changed the meta in the way you play the game, and it's played that way ever since. I know it's only two years, but still. Hey, that's the, still the game pretty long for two e- weeks. For yeah. Deft has his worst world's finish ever. He doesn't even make it out of groups. They play a tiebreaker, and he comes in third. So he's got the superstar rookies in Chovy and Caria. They can't even make it out of groups and worlds. Deft and Chovy leave. They're done. DRX, we're out of here. We're going to join Hanwha Life. They end that split third again, but they lose 3-0 to the reigning champions, Damwon, in the playoff semis. Summer is a huge disaster. They come in eighth, the worst position that Def's ever finished in in a season. They make the regional qualifiers, and they have a miracle run. They start beating everybody. From last place to first place, they qualify for Worlds as a third seed, and then they make it out of the group stage. They're in the quarterfinals. Def's playing great. Top three stats. They've got Chovy. Everything's looking up. Faker three zeros them. They lose again. Our boy Faker, he's only got his three world championships, but he's really got deft on the fucking ropes. Do they punch card for every time he throws them? <laughs> <laughs> it's been about like five or six times. But to be fair to them, one for eight. to be fair to them, Faker at this time has an 85% win rate all time at world. <laughs> That's insane. 85% win rate over 10 worlds. He's won specifically at world, like not just in yes, games, specifically at tournament against all of the yes. best players. He's an yes. eighty-five percent win, eighty-five percent win rate. He's won Christ ten God. LCK titles, three worlds titles. The only player to ever do it. That's why he's has the killable demon king. Has four finals appearances. No one else has two. He has four. He's the only player to defend a world title. He's the first player to a hundred international wins. First player to a thousand kills, the first player to five hundred domestic wins, has a seventy percent win rate all time over every game. He he has more finals appearances than any player has semifinals appearances. <laughs> Faker is just the greatest, and this is why our boy Def keeps losing. So flash forward, we're we're now at twenty twenty two, and we're in the storyline of the century. So Def rejoins DRX, has a conversation with his boy Chovy and his friend Caria, and he says, listen, guys, honestly, I think I'm kind of washed at this point. I don't think we're going to be able to do it. I think you guys should go pursue other stuff without me. I I love that you guys want to play with me, but I just don't think we got it. Go do you. So Chovy joins a super team, Gen G, and Caria decides, you know what? If Def couldn't get me the world title, I'm just going to join Faker and joins SKT. So. Going into the season, Deft joins a completely trash dead roster. They went 2-16 the previous year. They were last place. Their top laner was a promising rookie named Kingen, but he is embarrassing. He's getting destroyed by everyone in 1v1s. He's dying solo to the enemy laner. Unheard of things. His good friend Piochik, who kind of lost him earlier in 2018, is his jungler again who gets benched for his poor performance. They have a good rookie in the guy named Zekka, who's pretty good, but like he's not really that good yet. But they do have one shining light, and that's they have the support Barrel, who's the reigning world champion. He's very good, but he has one fatal flaw. 
He loves waifus and he loves gotcha games and he doesn't focus on the game. He's often often found playing Genshin Impact, not focusing, not playing League of Legends, not practicing, not studying, not doing anything. What is the Moneyball meme with uh, fucking Jonah Hill saying, this is Beryl, he's the greatest in the world, his one flaw, he loves anime girls. I mean, it's, I'm sure, a recurring issue in this particular sport. (laughs) They go 11 and 7 in the spring. Honestly, pretty good for this roster. Carried on the back of Deft and Barrel. They make quarterfinals, but they shit out in the quarterfinals and they don't go anywhere. And the summer, they go 500. They go 9 and 9. And this time they get destroyed by Chovy and Genji in quarters. It's not close. They get 3 0, fastest 3 0 in KR history. They're the sixth seed going into regionals. They bench the jungler that's been covering for Piochik. And they put Piochik back in. It's all about the jungler. Piochik, now having been terrible, gets his shot. Deft plays incredible. He has the best statistics in his role by a mile. They dominate and they qualify. Despite every analyst saying there's no way they're going to qualify. But interestingly, they actually qualify as the fourth seed because Korea gets an extra seed this year because of some issues with Vietnam not being able to go to NA. So they get their fourth seed. They don't come in as the third seed, but they come in as the fourth seed. And so what do they have to do? They have to play in a pre-tournament. They don't even get to qualify to groups. They have to play in the pre-tournament. No one from the play-ins has ever even made quarterfinals. It's looking downhill. Some people are even saying that this might be the first time a Korean team doesn't make it out of play-ins. They're so bad that there's someone saying, hey, we think that these NAEU and wildcard regions, Brazil, Russia, Turkey, all these regions with like 100 players, they're better than this Korean team. They're not making it. They make it out of the planes. They make it to groups. They get seeded against the number two Chinese team in their group who are considered the second best team in the world behind the number one Chinese team. And they do pretty good. They do pretty good in groups. They do enough to make it out, and they come out in second. In their first game in quarterfinals, they're playing against EDG. EDG, the old team from Deft, way back, is the reigning world champions. They look good, but not great. In the second game of the series, after a completely dominant first game, they go for a backdoor. So you don't have to kill the enemy team. You just have to kill their nexus. That's your only job. Deft takes a spell called teleport, teleports into the enemy base with the inhibitor down, and he goes for the win. His team does everything they can to stop the recall, stop the other team from getting there. And as the last auto attack is going to kill the nexus, the inhibitor respawns and makes the nexus immune to damage. Deft dies. The team gets wiped because he's not at the team fight. They lose. They're 0-2. Everyone's saying it's done. It's over. There's no way they can make it. They come out game three and destroy them. It is not close. It is like someone came out and fucking put cocaine in their Cheerios. These kids are playing (laughs) unreal. They absolutely demolished them in game three. Game four is a nail biter. It's so close. No one knows who's going to win. Deft makes a game-saving play, wins them the game. 
and they roll them in game five. One series down. Meanwhile, our boy Faker, who's now trying for his fourth win and his fifth finals appearance, completely dominates his opponent, RNG, 3-0 with Caria, not even close. They're starting to be touted as the best team. Deft, in the semifinals, his first semifinals appearance since 2014, goes up against his good friend Chovy. The guy who he told, hey man, go off on your own. I can't win you the title. Gen G is 8-0 against DRX this year. They stomped them 3-0 in the playoffs. Everyone projects this as a 3-0. Everyone projects this as a stomp. DRX comes in 3-1. Their rookie mid laner takes out the MVP Chovy. They win. They're making it to the finals. How? No one fucking knows at this point. This is probably the craziest storyline that's ever happened in League of Legends. The fucking team from the play-ins, after he told everyone he couldn't win, he made the finals. This is after he announced he's retiring at the end of the season. He said he's retiring, and they take him to the finals with a rookie and a guy whose nickname is P.O. Shit because he's so bad that everyone <laughs> calls him shit to his face. Oh, my God. Meanwhile... a very good final season of the anime. Yeah. Meanwhile, Faker dominates the number one Chinese team projected to win Worlds. 3-0. Faker breezes into the finals. I, I cannot tell you how crazy this storyline is for Faker to go up against Deft in Deft's final season in the World Finals. One week ago, they faced off. And the Chase Center, my friend went, he said the stadium was shaking when they announced the players. People were going nuts. This is the biggest storyline that's ever happened. But again, all the analysts are saying, it's SKT, man. You know, there's no way Faker loses. He hasn't lost to death yet. He's been stomping him for 10 years. He's got the best support in the world, Caria. He's got the best top laner in the world. Kingen's the worst top laner at this World's Finals. It's going to be a complete stomp on the top side of the map. Kingen's going to die solo five times. People are betting hundreds and hundreds of dollars on Faker to win his fourth title. Everyone thinks it's a formality at this point. We get into game one, and everything goes T1's way. It's a complete stomp. It goes exactly how predicted. DRX picks a highly contested champion that SKT has a complete counter for, just like they did to Faker in 2015. And they completely rolled them. It doesn't look close. Everyone's, you know, they're writing their checkbooks. It's done. T1's going to win. Game two, DRX copies the exact same strategy that SKT used in game one. They win in a pretty convincing fashion. It's a game now. You know, it's looking pretty close. The idea of just being like, every game is so different. You can just switch up strategies like that way where it's like, okay, we're going to play completely different in this next game. In fact, we're going to copy what the other team did and just see if we can use it against them. Like you can't do that in any other sport. You can't just yeah. change up exactly how you play at the drop of a hat. There's an important thing to note too, is the way the draft breaks up matters. So your side, whether you're blue or red side changes the pick order. So blue side gets first pick of the draft Red side gets last pick uncontested. So is that champion that you can pick in the first pick so much better that your opponent can't counter it? 
or is having the last pick when they've picked all of their champions and you can counter it more valuable. So that's kind of the differences and why you can change strategies. That makes sense. Now, I mean, to Xavier's point, what I was going to say is like, imagine if Navy was down like 28 nothing at half to Hawaii and then said, all right, we're going shotgun five wide now. Fuck it. <laughs> These guys are really kicking our ass. What if we tried that? Yeah, that's that's pretty much. So game three, T1 does the same strategy they did in game one and they win. So everything's kind of looking exactly. It's whoever gets blue side picks that strategy they win the game which is bad for drx because game five if drx wins game four game five is skt's pick it's got to be because they're the first seed this is turned into like a, a tennis where you're just waiting for the first person to break serve i love it yeah game four skt is up a lot eight thousand gold in the first 20 minutes and it's actually not that much it's like six thousand Unheard of margin. Everyone's writing it off. Game's over. DRX make a huge comeback. They win the game, push the game to five series. It's important to note at this point in the tournament, Faker is playing like shit. He's playing terrible. He's getting dominated by this rookie in DRX. And the only reason his team is doing well is because his bot lane is destroying Deft as hard as Deft's rookie is destroying Faker. So neither one of them, this big story about both of them being relevant, are relevant at all to the story. They're actually liabilities to both of their <laughs> respected teams, which is hilarious in their 10th year. And then the big matchup that matters at this point is top lane. Zeus versus Kingen. Zeus is considered the best player in the world at this point. He plays for SKT. Kingen is considered the worst player in his position. But in game four, something crazy happens. Kingen dominates. And he's the reason that DRX won game four. Game five, they pick him the same champion they picked in game four. SKT doesn't ban it. They, they think, hey, we have the counter. Zeus is the better player. We're not going to ban it. DRX picks a completely different strategy that they haven't shown all tournament. Game five of the finals, they pick totally different champions. They ban three different picks that they haven't banned all series. They pick four of their five champion picks are completely different. They're going completely off the wall. No one knows what they're thinking. This is game five. Why would they do this? SKT is back on blue side. Blue side's won every game. Why would they take this risk? They go into the game and they dominate the beginning of the game. It's not close. They win a team fight and they take Dragon and they're on their way to take Baron. And I haven't explained what Baron does, but essentially it does similar to what the inhibitor does. It makes your, your minions super powered. And there's a very important thing that's been happening all tournament. There's a spell in the game called Smite. Smite does 900 true damage. It's how everyone secures the objective. Nothing can really out damage Smite. If the jungler is doing what they're supposed to do, the jungler who hits Smite on the objective should get the objective every time. Piosik has missed four of these Smites this match. He's lost Barons and Dragons to, to 80 carries. He's lost them to the jungler out smiting him. He's not calculating correctly the damage that the team is doing to the objective, and he's missing Smites. DRX has the game won. They go to take Baron, and Piochik misses again. SKT gets the steal and they stall the game. And SKT then pushes bot lane, takes the inhibitor, and it looks like they've taken the game. Everything's done. 
Faker misplays, and he's caught out by Deft. Deft gets the kill in the crucial moment. They push down, they win. Deft gets his first win over Faker. It's at the World Finals. The miracle happened. It actually fucking happened. Deft got his W. All in all, he had a pretty fucking good career. He was consistently the top four player at his position. He took five different teams to Worlds because he couldn't beat fucking Faker. And he qualified seven of his ten years. And in his miracle retirement run, the Alpaca beats the Demon King. And there you go. James, you know what this reminds me of? It makes me think if Holly McPeak had actually at one point beaten Misty May and Carrie Walsh with the, you know, switching between so many different partners and always being, always losing to the same people. If Holly McPeak had actually won at all against them, that would be what this is. It was pretty unreal. I watched it live. A couple of my friends went to fucking San Francisco and went to Chase Center and watched it live. I was personally rooting for Faker because I'm a bit of a Faker fanboy. That's my Michael Jordan. <laughs> but he couldn't do it. But, but Faker but will come back. He him. always does. Dude's got fucking every title ever known. He'll, he'll, he'll get his W. Well, I thought that was phenomenal. Now that you, Rob, have brought this guy before us, the guy Bunel, it's time for us to, to take a closer look. I don't know how long we'll need to look closer because it's an incredibly good story. Just the playoff run alone, having to first face elimination and then fight one former best friend and then another best friend in the finals and then getting the win in the face of your 10-year rival from the same high school as you. It's a delectable story. I definitely am, am leaning towards yes, but I'd be interested to hear if you guys have anything else to add. Oh, I, I love this. It, it, it's so fun because esports is one of those things where I've always wanted to really get into them because I see how excited people are. It is extremely difficult. It is a very hard skill. Like Careers are usually very short. So for someone to have been doing this for 10 years and then finally get the payoff, they, like that that after that much time, I think that's awesome. I think it's so cool. Yeah, I mean, we're... We hit a lot of the themes that are central to Guy here, right? We have the overcoming of adversity, the longtime rival that you just can't quite get the best of, you know, team hopping, the very human nature of taking the money when it is presented to you, going from <laughs> 20000 to $1.2 million, quite a big come up. You know, I think depth is based on everything you've said, and I mean, looking at the, the player salaries, I mean, Deft is probably as central to esports and League of Legends in particular becoming as mainstream as it has. So I think, you know, from a builder's category, from a pioneer's category, from a guy category, I, I mean, I don't think there's any debate here. Also just glad that as soon as I heard Jungler, I could tell that's got to be the most important thing on the map. And particularly there at the end, you've, you've confirmed that for me, Rob. Oh, it, it definitely is the most important role. And typically teams do not win if they have a bad jungler. DRX might be the only team that's ever won with a truly bad jungler. And people were even saying in the match, they, they were like, I, I need DRX to win because if they lose, this jungler is going to off himself. Because oh of just the sheer, I mean, hyperbole. 
just the the sheer pain that he would have gone through knowing that they had so many chances to win so many games and he was losing the objectives because of his own lack of skill and it's like a tangible him problem like there's no one else you can point fingers at this isn't like my team messed up this is like my only job is to do this and i missed four times in the finals when i wasn't even supposed to be here people are like yeah i would i would feel so bad if i was that guy and I, you can't can't I would too. bad player I there too. but hey you got the win so it doesn't matter apparently and- you can miss and you'll win in the beach where Piyoshi was walking, when there was just one set of footprints, that is when Deft was carrying him. <laughs> and we have, we've gone through a jungle ourselves, and it sounds to us like we've emerged from this jungle with a decision. We do have a decision. In fact, we have a unanimous one. So it is our great honor to welcome into the Hall of Guy, straight from the heart and soul of his teams, but also Seoul, South Korea. <laughs> The yep. Team Hopper, man who kept getting close, but just not quite close enough, but finally knocks through at the very end. Him, Hook, Hugh, better known as Depth and forever known as a guy. Let's go. On the condition that this is indeed a retirement, if it's not, we'll just, we'll keep it on ice. We'll hold That's it. That's fair. I, I, get, I don't know. He I'll gets this handed to him as yeah, soon I, as he I, officially I, I, retires. A League of Legend players like boxers where like Tyson Fury's gonna retire eight more fucking times before he actually retires. <laughs> so that happens a lot in North America. It hasn't typically happened in Korea, but normally when a player says they're gonna retire but then doesn't officially retire, it it, it can at times mean that they're not actually retiring. So there is a chance. I personally believe there's nowhere to go for him. Like, he, he's done it. He has the second longest career of anyone, and he got the win. So, like, where do you go? Do you stay on uh, a team that was kind of miracle run? What are the chances they miracle run next year, right? That's kind of how I feel about it is, like, you did it. You, you were the guy. Go out on top. But who knows? Retire 26, then go join the military. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the other thing, is both of them have to leave in the next three years. The only reason they were allowed to stay as long as they were is because esports is so prominent that they have been allowed to defer it, and because they dropped out of high school, they don't actually go to official military. They go to civil service, because you can't be a high school dropout in the official military in Korea. So both of them... Dropping out of high school seems like a much easier decision then, man. Shit. <laughs> So yeah, they uh, they will not do that. But hey, they're they're set for life. They're making millions even now in KR, so they're chilling. And Faker's not going to retire because he's been on top this entire time, even though he hasn't won a Worlds again. So he's not going anywhere. He's still the goat. I'm a little they, sad he lost. I'm not going to lie. Too <laughs> bad for for the the Michael Jordan, the Tom Brady of the sport. Losing. Listen, man, he's my he's been my favorite player. Since he debuted and I watched him solo kill Ambition, I still watch that clip sometimes. That's a wild first game. Ambition at the time was the best player in the world. It wasn't close. And he just just stomps it. He just solo kills him. It's just crazy. I still remember watching you watch League 
back in 2012, like the house 2012, not the year 2012. Just walk by your room and just, oh, what you doing, Rob? League. Yep. Okay, cool. <laughs> I don't even play the game anymore. I literally only watch the eSport. I just love it. It's just, it's like actually entertaining. It really is. It's like, if you know what's going on, it's crazy. It's it's league is selling out stadiums. They're selling out the Chase Center. They have like movie theaters that were dedicated to the League World Finals, where people were going to movie theaters with their friends and family who have never watched League and just like watching this epic finale play out. It couldn't have been more perfect than it was. It's like there were so many chances for one of the super teams or the best teams to come out and win, and it just. It couldn't have been more perfect that it was just Def just coming out and finally beating Faker. You couldn't have written a script that was that pretty. That's how you know it's sports. Yeah. We appreciate your dedication to the sport. It's what made you the ideal candidate to be our esports reporter, and we look forward to your future broadcasts. Truly, thank you. this was a phenomenal story, and your hard-hitting journalism into the esports community is appreciated here. We thank you, and we thank you, listeners, for checking it out once more. And just because I feel like I always forget to say this, we thank Zach for just excellent theme music. What a joy it is to hear that while I edit every single week. <laughs> it's elite. Just like Joe Flacco. <laughs> a friend of mine who's a Jets fan was ragging on Joe Flacco before the season <laughs> when the Jets had to start him for two games. Well, he was wrong. Joe Flacco's elite. <laughs> Joe Flacco's elite, and I'm James. I'm the very special guest, Xavier. I'm the esports correspondent, Rob. I'm Diaz. And as Stephen Hawking once said, intelligence is the ability to adapt to guys. 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 <laughs> guys. <laughs>